So yeah, we're gonna see some stuff. Pink oh princess God. crown. That's a teddy bear. <laughs> oh my God. <laughs> I love this. I do too. This is so good. This, if you can hear this, this is the cracking of bottles. When the sun comes out, the gases in the bottles expand. And, and it's just like a symphony of cracking bottles. It's amazing. There was a fly in my mouth. <laughs> <laughs> and I just saw a rat run by also. It's the only comparison. Uh, what's this sound? It's like a jungle bug, man. It's a jungle bug. So sorry for that sound. Uh, oh, it's good. Uh, there is a manatee and two. Oh, yep. I am sitting right now in a jungle in Guatemala. We are in Vietnam. We just got to spend the last couple hours on the Chao Praia in Bangkok, Thailand. We are sitting on the Crystal River in Florida. We are sitting on a jetty alongside Interceptor 007 in Bayona Creek. So here we are. So here we are here we on are. land. It's humid, it's, it's about to rain, it's yeah. smoky. Just to yeah, set this scene this is, a little bit. This is we Asia. Are, this is we're Asia. on a rooftop in Asia. We are here in Rotterdam this week. This is the easiest thing you'll do in this building. <laughs> it's very interesting. All right, so like I like to start every interview with you, Boy and Slat, welcome to Catching Up. What are we doing? Is it a podcast we're doing? We're not. No, we're just doing an interview. We'll see what we do with it. Okay. We'll see how good you are today. <laughs> Hello and welcome to a very special year-end wrap-up mashup episode of Catching Up. And what a year it's been. My name is Dan Vanderkoy, and my real job is to travel to our various project locations and help document the story of the ocean cleanup. I do this alongside a very talented communications team full of writers, designers, social media gurus, and many other creative people. It's funny to look back at this little podcast and see how many episodes we've done. What started out as a rough idea within the comms team during a weird time of a global pandemic has evolved into something that we now use as a tool to go a bit more in depth with our story and introduce you to our team members. We hope you enjoy listening to what we're doing as much as we enjoy sharing it. We know how important it is for us as an organization to be transparent. And sometimes a quick video or a social media post doesn't let us explain the story as deep as we'd like to go. We thought that for the last podcast of 2022, we'd look back at all of the conversations from the last year, which took place all over the world and have been part of Catching Up, and we'd share some of the highlights. Let's start with a Swiss guy named Florent Bavard that I work quite closely with at the Ocean Cleanup and listen to him explain from a jungle in Guatemala why documenting our story the way that we do is so important. <laughs> Why is it so important that we're out here with cameras and drones and GoPros and why is it so important that we share this with the world? Yeah, it has to become not just your problem, right? It has to become everybody else's concerns. As many people as you can reach, as many people as you can, you know, like uh, ask to turn their attention to this problem. Uh, and the, the best way to do this is to, is to create content, not in a superficial way, but is to, say, is to show it. And, mm -hmm. and these places are hard to get to, and they're usually not the places that the people in power or the people with uh, you know, uh, capacity to help uh, get to. You know? There's, nobody comes to these places, so it's out of sight, out of, uh, out of mind kind of thing. So 
if you come here and you document it and you, sh and you and you do your best so that as many people as possible see it, uh, then it becomes the problem of many more people, or at least they start to care about it. Um, so it, yeah, it's, it's make this problem the problem of as many people as possible. Our partners also understand the importance of sharing our story. Here is our Maersk Offshore Operations Manager, Glenn Kisak, explaining why this is so exciting for everyone involved with the ocean cleanup, including the team from Maersk who are out day to day in the middle of the Great Pacific Garbage Patch, harvesting plastic. Yeah, I think it is exciting for everyone. Everyone who touches the project is really excited by it and can see the, the, the kind of impact that it has. And, and I think we're aware because, you know, the great work that you guys do as a communications team in telling the story of what we do. But when your, your kid comes home from school and says like, hey, I heard you're involved in this like amazing thing. We were, we were learning about that in school today because they've been learning about the Ocean Cleanup Project. Everybody gets a little buzz out of that and they, they tell us about that, right? They, they, they kind of light up a little bit when, when something like that happens. So it is a special project and it is different to all those other things. Yeah, I heard that so many times when I was out there, like I would have guys come up to me and be like, I've been doing this for... 30 years, yeah. nobody has ever sent me an email saying, I saw this picture and I saw what you're doing and it's so exciting and it's so cool. He's like everybody that would see that would see these drone shots and see this thing dumping the trash. What does it say about the importance of what we're doing? Yeah, I mean, the fact that it captures people's attention, yeah, is, is it's one of those problems that people see, you know, plastic and people just have this instinctive reaction like that is wrong, like we need to do something about that, right? So. That is manifested in that reaction when people see a solution in progress and, and that is an equally strong reaction that they say, wow, it's fantastic that people are doing something about this, yeah. And we are doing something about it. One person I know who loves showing off exactly what we're doing out there is our head of communications, Yost Dubois. Nothing brings me more joy than sitting in a meeting with this guy and watching the look on his face when he pulls up a video of trash hitting the deck of the Maersk tender. I still rerun the extraction videos on deck of the tender. I mean, that is like so much the way I imagined it to be. And to see how we get better at doing this every time we do it, that repetition, the, the volume of trash that we, that we dump on deck, uh, the extreme motivation and, and engagement of the crew cleaning it up every time. Imagine you're there, well, you've been there very far away from, from home, very far away from land for weeks at a stretch. You tow for a few days, then you dump it all on deck. You, you spend almost a day sorting it and putting it in bags and in containers. And then you're towing again, and three days later, you're doing the, the same thing over and over. Uh, I applaud these guys. And to me, they're a demonstration that we're on the right track. And the thing we have to do now is grow, scale it up. Uh, system three, uh, nickname still to be revealed, is going to be three times the size of system two. And Jenny has been such a faithful performer and uh, she's going into, into her winter sleep now for a, a well-deserved couple of months of uh, <laughs> restoration and uh, 
and rest and then in spring we will continue to yeah, run the transformation from system 002 to system 03. And since Jenny's arrival back to Victoria, Canada for her short winter break, she's already pulled in a whopping 427,313 pounds. That's 213 US tons. And for the rest of the world, that's more than 193,000 kilograms. Here's our director of oceans and one of the coolest cats at the ocean cleanup, Joel Jansen, with a few more facts about the upcoming Ocean System 03. If you think we're pulling a lot out with Jenny, wait until you see what we do with System 3. Assuming everything stays on schedule mm -hmm. as planned, tell me a little bit about System 03. What are what are the major differences? Just give me the, the bullet points of System 03. Sure. So system, maybe good to start with system two is 800 meters long. So that has a, about an opening, effective opening of about 500 meters. Speed stays the same, but we want to increase the size. So where the current system two is, uh, is 800 meters long, we want to extend to 2,500 meters long. Where the current system is now three meters deep, we want to uh, extend to four meters deep. So basically your surface area triples in terms of length and gets one third additional in terms of depth. So um, yeah, that will, uh, <laughs> that will increase the, the surface area a lot. So the first component that we have in place, uh, that's the bigger retention zone. So we can have more plastics in the system and that allows us just to, to bring more plastics uh, to the vessel. Another person who loves watching massive amounts of plastic getting pulled out of water bodies is our very own CEO and founder, Boyan Slat. He loves it so much that he's even set up a personal live feed that he can watch from anywhere in the world of all the plastic dumps that happen in the Great Pacific Garbage Patch. We're still pulling trash out all over the world. I mean, it was so cool. The other day we were sitting at a little rooftop restaurant and watching live from the mm. Great Pacific Garbage Patch, yet another haul of trash come out of the Pacific Ocean. How does that make you feel when you're sitting in Guatemala and you're watching something happening on the complete other side of the world that is just as impactful and just as important to the story of the ocean cleanup? That's no, cool to um, really um, becoming quite the international operation. I think the most important thing now is to have the discipline to do these things right at this scale first before trying to scale as fast as possible that's what we try to do first but it doesn't really work to scale something that doesn't fully work yet so so yeah that's what we're in now it's about maximizing the the efficacy of these deployments in rivers it's about um, achieving operational excellence on oceans yeah, these things need to get boring first before we should take another exciting step in terms of scaling. So, so that's, that's the process we're in now. And um, I think slowly but surely you're starting to see that um, that's having an, an effect on, uh, on the operation. I think now in the patch, it's going very well. Um, rivers too, where you know, we see the lines trending upwards. So, yeah. <laughs> The lines were trending upwards, 
but we were also coming off of one of our largest, what we like to call learning opportunities. On May 26, we almost caught a record-setting amount of plastic and a flash flood of trash flowing down the Rio Las Vacas in Guatemala. This was our first test of an interceptor trash fence, or Interceptor 006 for those keeping track. For 30 minutes, I literally couldn't believe what I was witnessing as this massive monster of trash came barreling towards our trash fence. The adrenaline kicked in like never before, and the excitement level elevated with each minute as I watched this mountain of plastic grow larger and larger and larger. This truly was one of the shocks of my life. Unfortunately, as fast as we stopped it, the foundations began to break and we started to lose it. Although we didn't lose everything, and the amount we learned in those days is beyond priceless, it was a tough pill to swallow. Here's Boyan's reaction to what had happened after he surveyed the site where we had just gotten so close. How are you feeling about Guatemala right now? Yeah, so it's now being here now, just two weeks after we almost stopped a thousand ton trash tsunami. It's, it's, it's quite difficult to be honest. It's, um, on one hand, it feels very hopeful to know that this will soon be over and um, we will be stopping this. On the other hand, knowing that what you see behind me would not be there had the fence performed is uh, it's difficult. And also going to the beach, seeing the trash there, which again, probably most of that is coming from the, the trash tsunami we were grabbing hold of for about half an hour. So yeah, it's um, mixed emotions is the term we, we've used a lot over the past few days. And there were very mixed emotions. In full transparency, we released a video of the fence working and then failing in order to open the eyes of as many people that we could have that this is a regular occurrence down there. It's a very difficult thing to show an event like this or just show dirty rivers and oceans in general. It stirs so many emotions from so many different types of people, including governments that feel that they have things under control. We are not interested in pointing fingers. We're only interested in solving issues with our technology. But as we stated earlier, we need to be able to show the issues to the world in order to get support. Here is our CFO, Stacy Santoso, explaining why this is still such a big challenge. In order for us to succeed, we have to be able to show the world why are we in this country? And we're not a Greenpeace, so we don't just have the we don't just go into a country you know, we're here, we're here, we're, we're saving the world. We have solutions, we have ideas, we need to be able to test ideas, we need to be able to think long term. We, we need to be thinking 10, 15, 20 years down the line. And we also need the countries to be a bit open-minded to that as well and realize that what we're, com we're not coming in to expose something, we're not coming in to draw attention to only negativity. We do truly want to solve this problem. And I think that as we grow as an organization and as we expand, people start coming in at higher positions from Indonesia and other countries that we may be establishing interceptor solutions in the future or, or ocean systems in the future. I think it's a huge step for us and I think it's super important. 
yeah, I'm really excited for that because I guess that's um, I think that's what we want, right? We want to kind of that's the ambition to yeah. clean up thousand rivers, and I think that's if I look at that as a big challenge. It is exciting, but it's a big challenge in itself. Um, and as you said, how to tell the story? Look, let me be honest. Nobody likes when you know. Even though if my house is a complete mess, I have a lot of dirty stuff, you know, in my house. I wouldn't like it if you just come to my house and say, "I know how to clean your house." Like, dude, have you ever been living in this house? I mean, do you know what I've been going through in the past couple of years? I mean, nobody likes it, right? Amazing example. So and now I'm very curious to see your house. <laughs> <laughs> Please do not see my house. <laughs> this will be a topic that we'll cover a lot more in 2023. We have to, especially as we grow and our projects get larger and start drawing so much more attention. And also expect much more excitement from us down in Guatemala. We're not going to stop until this problem is solved down there. Another project that we knew would get a lot of eyeballs in 2022 was Interceptor 007. After all, we were about to place this thing in one of the most popular cities on the planet, Los Angeles, California. Back in March, I took a trip with senior project manager Alice Collins to get a first-hand look at the location that we'd be placing this machine later in the year. Here are her thoughts after her first visit to the City of Angels. I mean, having seen the location now with you last week, it is incredibly visible. Um, it's a high traffic area, as you mentioned, lots of people walking, doing, you know, using the creek recreationally, people on boats, on uh, uh, rowers, um, people fishing, the whole, the whole shebang, everyone's there, kind of, that's what it feels like. Um, and the, the interceptor is going to be placed in that creek. There's, there's no way of not seeing it, it's there. Um, and yeah, most of the year there are no rain events. So most of the year it will just be there. Um, and hopefully it will also serve a purpose then to raise awareness to the issue that there is around plastic pollution and plastic waste reaching uh, the oceans through this creek. And there is an issue there because there's about 60,000 uh, pounds of trash that reaches the oceans from Bayona Creek every year and on est estimated basically. And so, yeah, the, the idea with this is also for us to test this technology in uh, an environment that is not usual for us. So this is a pilot project. It's running over two storm seasons. Um, and we're going to, you know, just make sure that this is the right technology for this area. And when the storms come, we're hoping that having the interceptor there will be able to capture that trash before it goes out onto the ocean and then washes up onto the beach or gets lost at sea. <laughs> Soon after that, Interceptor 007 was packed up and shipped from Malaysia to Long Beach, while Los Angeles Public Works prepared Bayona Creek for the Interceptor to arrive. On October 6, we towed 007 to its final location, and Curtin Maritime and our operations team installed the Interceptor just in time for the 2022 storm season to begin. About a week after the install, I sat on a jetty just across from 007 and had a chat with an exhausted operations manager, Alex Mills. We talked about the process that still needed to happen before the first flush of waste would make its way down the river. All eyes would now be watching this shiny new spaceship sitting on Bayona Creek. It's difficult to explain to 
yeah, the people walking by as well, you know, they look at it, they see it, they go, oh, that's cool, you know, is it on? Uh, and just explaining to them that we're here for these big storm events. So we got one boom out, and then we'll get the second boom out ready for an event when we expect it to be heavy rainfall, and then hopefully catch a lot of waste. But until that happens, it's really difficult to demonstrate what we're actually doing here. So um, it, whereas our other locations, yeah, as you mentioned, Klang, Dominican Republic, you just, it's just flowing all the time. And, and talk me through the, just the facts of this project. This is, this is a pilot project that we are here for two storm seasons. What are we expecting? What, what do you expect now, now spending some time on here over the last week and talking to the neighbors and learning a bit of the history? Give me what your expectations are now. So first priority is to make sure that the second boom is deployed ready for the first flush. Right, it's very difficult to predict weather anyway and to make sure that we do it with enough time that we definitely capture everything. That's the first challenge. Uh, the second challenge is the fact that we're actually, we're in seawater. And um, anyone who's worked in the maritime industry will tell you that the seawater sea will eat everything. So we're really stress testing this machine um, to make sure that it can survive in these kinds of conditions. I'm anticipating that, yeah, for this, for this pilot project that it'll be fine. We've taken some mitigations to make sure that, yeah, it, that it will survive, material choice, etc. So, and then it's also going to be a bit of a stress test with the kind of flows that we're expecting. So we normally sit in a river at about a meter a second. It's almost certainly going to be higher than that here, and considerable volumes of water running through. So, yeah, I'm expecting to catch a lot of that first flush. That's the idea, but also we have to be realistic and the fact that you know maybe there's going to be something to do with the characteristics of the flow that mean that we miss some so we need to be here to capture exactly what happens when that first flush occurs we've got to make we've got to analyze how the booms sit what angle everything sat at what kind of tension it's all in uh, what kind of flow rates we're getting um, and just evaluate so capture all of that data and at the end of the pilot hopefully have enough to say, well, yeah, it works. So then there could be another location with similar characteristics to this one where we'd say, yeah, an interceptor will work here. Well, it worked. A couple of weeks after this interview with Alex, we had our first flush and 007 intercepted more than 35,000 pounds of trash from making its way to the beaches around Los Angeles County. A very special shout out to everyone involved with this project, especially our partners out there, Los Angeles County, Public Works, Ocean Blue, and everyone else who helped launch this project just in time. This proves the importance of partnerships. As a small international nonprofit on the other side of the planet from most of our projects, we need strong relationships all over the world. Here again is Alice Collins talking about one of our largest partnerships that is really starting to take shape to help us move forward. One of the big stories here at the Ocean Cleanup, especially on the river side of things, has been this partnership that we're going into with Coke. It's a relationship that from the outside can seem a bit like the odd couple almost. What's your take on the relationship with Coke, especially after the experiences that you've had in meetings and meeting these people in, in real life and really getting to know them? Yeah, I mean, it was very positive. 
Um, of course, initially when I joined the Ocean Cleanup, there was, a, of course, there was that skepticism about why would we be partnering with Coca-Cola. Once you get past that, of course, they, you know they are the main contributor to the pollution, so they should be supporting in finding the solutions. And with the meetings that we had last week, I'm very positive that uh, this is a partnership. It's, it's not just a question of um, you know doing communications about it. The people who I met last week included uh, waste experts, and that's exactly the kind of person that I need to meet because we are fishing this stuff out. It is. Uh, really disgusting waste and it's highly contaminated in many cases what do you do with this and so being able to talk to coke and uh, utilize their expertise in that domain is really uh, really powerful and so it's great that we have the opportunity to do that to work with them and I did feel a lot of sincerity in the, the discussions that I had last week about well this is our problem too we're here to solve it let's work together to do that yeah, I, I agree. I heard a lot of that. And, and I think it's it's impressive once you're with them. Like you said, it wasn't just a bunch of suits sitting around talking about how we need to market or hide this or do this. They bring in the right people to help. They understand it. Like they get it. And I think that's cool. It takes partnerships like this. Like the thing that I think everybody has come around to is to the realization that we cannot do this by ourselves this tiny little dutch organization sitting up here in rotterdam trying to organize things in malaysia and dominican republic and guatemala and jamaica and los angeles it doesn't make any sense so we need partners like this we're still learning so much along the way and we're trying to solve an extremely difficult problem I had an amazing conversation about this on a rooftop alongside Interceptor 003 in Canto, Vietnam with our river director in Asia, Steven Palman. We talked about what we needed to do in order to become a stronger organization. I don't want to make it always so fluffy. I mean, we do have struggles. We, do, we are like every other company organization out there. It is not perfect. Where, where do you think we have our biggest problems as an organization? Well, I think, uh, first of all, we are trying to solve a very complex problem, mm -hmm. right? We, we are doing something that you would, as a normal entrepreneur, would not start doing. Right. Because all the circumstances are unknown or are uncertain. Yeah. And we try to solve that with a solution that is most probably not always the best solution. Right. Right. So, first of all, it's super, super complex. What we could do better, I think, is, and I, I, we're gearing to that point, and we spent a lot of time on discussing this, we need to understand the problem better, even better than we did in the yeah. past, right? And, you know, you don't have to m go with a microscope to every river, and, and of course, plastic in water, got it, it's the same. Uh, but if we want to truly have impact, you need to uh, understand the problem or the demand of the river, if you will. That's really uh, one of the key things that we we well we sh we are already doing, but we should be at, we we should be doing it more. And then take time to think of a solution. I might, I, it might very well be that we need to rethink certain technologies that we currently have in mind deploying, and that might not work. Uh, it, uh, it's for uh, it, and that makes us really uh, unique at some point. If we truly understand the problem, we probably are the only one. Being open-minded and realizing that we don't have a one-stop solution for every river is important. And rethinking our solutions and researching all aspects of a river is key to solving this problem. Before we bring any technology to a location, 
we need to study an ocean or a river to know what kind of solution we're going to bring to the table. Then we can start the process of removing or intercepting the waste. Nobody spends more time researching dirty rivers than this guy, our river research engineer, David Higgins. Dave and I crossed paths in Bangkok, Thailand on the Chow Praia as he was researching possible locations for our upcoming Interceptor 19, which will be deployed in early 2023. Tell me a little bit about this project. Tell me why this river, what the problem is, what are we, what are we doing here? Well, the Chao Praia is, I would say, the main artery of, the main artery through the country of Thailand. So it's it's a it's a central river, culturally, uh, and economically for for the country and for the city of Bangkok. We are here to, yeah, to do our part, I suppose, in one of what would be a focus river. Uh, across Asia for, for plastic pollution into the, into the ocean. So a couple of years ago, about two and a half years ago, we, we were trying to figure out how to tackle plastic pollution in Southeast Asia. And naturally the Chao Praia came up as a focal point, so we started to, to, to develop um, contacts and a network within Bangkok that we could um, build a project around. So we first came to to the Chao Praia with the with a solution in mind, and the solution was the Interceptor original. So we just had a, a solution, and we came here to fit that solution to the river. As you've seen along the river, this is not a, a straightforward uh, issue to solve. Firstly, there's the plastic. There's also water hyacinths that bloom throughout the year. There's also navigation that the river is key for and there's people living along the river and, and making their living from the river. So, uh, yeah, as I said, our, our current project is a, is, a, is a stepping stone to, for us. Uh, it's, we, there's a lot for us to learn from it, from our own project development, but also from the approach of the city in general towards plastic pollution in the river. So that's what we're doing at the moment here. We're trying to get an interceptor in the water operating and run and owned locally so that it can have a positive impact to reducing plastic emissions to the ocean. The impact will be, I think, both through the visibility of the system uh, and how it, how it changes perspectives of plastic pollution as a problem and also through the actual technical uh, efficiency of the system. Um, but th that, that is a challenge. <laughs> and we love challenges. Watch out for much more coming from Thailand in 2023 and more research from many different rivers around the world. Another person who's seen his share of plastic in water is our lead river field scientist, Thomas Manny. He's another example of someone who's doing a lot of root work and research now in order to strengthen and help our cause far in the future. How do you see the future going? How do you see what you're working on today affecting tomorrow? Yeah, I think it's a key question because, to be honest, there are also some days where, you know, you're really overwhelmed and frustrated with the situation because it's not as if we're the first people who are trying to make a difference in this domain. Um, I think 
rather quickly after this material came into existence, um, plastics, so the governments did think about the ways to, to manage it and some countries have uh, found some solutions and normally it's connected with a lot of infrastructure investment and others have and not. And so this is going on for decades and sometimes it's just easy to fall into that pitfall of frustration and resignation. What I do have to say is that I've been working in the science field uh, of plastic investigations in water bodies for uh, you know about 10 years soon and the awareness that is demonstrated through the enormous rise in publications and in newspaper articles and in TV shows and also in product descriptions and packaging descriptions the awareness rising is so exorbitant that there must be some positive outcome out of this rising awareness because otherwise we're just all lying to each other all the time and I don't think that's what humans uh, want to do in the end. So to be very honest I think the impacts we have today physically as an organization are still extremely limited. I think the impact that we have in terms of communicating and in terms of addressing this phenomenon is huge. So I guess the ocean cleanup is probably the leader in this. So that's where I put my hope for today. And I put my hope in the aspect that also showing how extremely difficult it actually is to clean up water bodies. It will naturally incentivize the stakeholders to try and avoid that situation at all costs in the first place. And that's my hope. And I believe that we are demonstrating this because we, are, we, we do have struggles. We do have amazing successes as well. But I think this mix very evidently shows that we need to try and avoid that result at all costs in the first place. And I do think we understand it. And Thomas, that answer was incredible, man. You gave me those uh, goosebumps. Yeah, stop it then. <laughs> no, seriously, man. Goosebumps. I'm serious. It was a fantastic answer. Yeah, right? I know that you've experienced similar situations. We had these discussions in, in, in the Dominican Republic. So, yeah. <laughs> And as you can probably tell, I seriously love talking to brilliant people like Thomas because their passion and wisdom is what's going to solve so many problems for our planet in the future. It really makes me feel like I'm a part of something that is going to be historic. And that's what drives me the most as a storyteller. This is one of my favorite questions I like to ask. I truly believe that we're writing history at the ocean cleanup and that one day there's going to be kids who read about what we're doing in a history class. I know everyone within this organization feels the same way and is quite proud to know that what they're doing now, even though it's still very early, is going to have an impact on the story of the planet in the future. Here's a few similar reactions to this feeling. When you look back at the last years of the ocean cleanup and all of the testing and all of the emotion and all of the ups and downs and everything that we've had, how much of this history, say even just in the last year, the amount that we have learned as a team all around the board. When we look back at this time period in 50 years, what does that do to you in your head? What, what does that spark that you were a part of this and that you, for some reason, started at the ocean cleanup at this time period? I think for me, the big landmark, if if I reflect on the on the past years, that we got a working ocean cleaning solution. 
that's for me personally, that's the biggest milestone sort of, and also what I set out when I joined the Ocean Cleanup about five years ago. Uh, I want to, yeah, sort of, I want to hit the milestone that I leave something to, well, to, to the world, I would say, something working. I don't like sort of non unfinished business, uh, mm-hmm. as one would say. So I think that's the, the big landmark uh, for that we have technology that we can show to the world, okay, with this, you, you can fix this problem. You can take it out. You can, you can make the seas clean. That, that's the, the big one. As we go forward and we start talking about System 003 and this thing's only going to get bigger and we're only going to start having more, at what point are you going to see this and you're going to say, we are successfully ridding the world's oceans of plastic? Well, the, the idea that we are doing it, I think when that first plastic hit the deck, when I saw it down, that was the moment for me where I was like, it's happening, you know? Mm-hmm. So, and that was a moment I was looking forward to before, it, you know, it wasn't the biggest extraction that we did. That was like the third or fourth that we did, but just that first one, uh, and you see the retention zone come out and come over the roller of the, of the, of the vessel and, and be emptied on the deck and it hits the deck and you're like, wow, now the ocean is a better place, right? That that plastic was in the ocean and now it's on the deck and it's happening. And, and that for me is the moment and we are doing it now. So yeah, as far as I'm concerned, we're rolling. I agree. Do you feel like you're part of something that is still at the beginning stages of something great? Often I, when I talk to people, you know, we, we, we get in it where sometimes it feels like we're in a storm still. You, I've been here around five years and it's like you, we have our ups, our downs. We're here, we're there. This is working, not working. We're excited about this, la, 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 la. It's still a bit, as you said, chaotic at times, but it is starting to smooth out. And the thing that I always find fascinating is that even, for instance, a time period that we could be in now or weeks ago where it just seems like everything is uphill, if you look at the great scheme of history and you think of five years in 50 years from now, we're only this big in what's happening. We're still growing. We're still learning. We're not an establishment like Greenpeace that has been around, as you say, so many years. We're, we're back Greenpeace back in the 60s, right? Like we're still a bunch of hippies getting on boats, <laughs> you know? And now, it, like, it gives me hope because I see that we have this going. And I think, where are we going to be and the impact that we will have shown? It's crazy now. Yeah, of course. But do you feel like you're part of this early days of the ocean cleanup? I would like to think that. I mean, as you said, I haven't been here that long. Um, but to me, this feels like still a beginning. It's a lot of, I'm, I'm hoping for, you know, with our ambitions with all the things that we want to do that we could be what you said great in the next couple of years you know 50 years from now but even if I look back the days when I was at GE that company is what 100 plus years but everybody's still so proud because it started with the Thomas Alpha Edison inventing the light bulb mm-hmm. so yeah in 100 years later you know it's that big. Okay, so it's a big corporate, of course, but it starts with an inventor as well, right? With the crazy idea. So, yeah, it started with the crazy idea, and then you have a light bulb. You know, you always start with a crazy idea. Mm-hmm. And yeah, I'm very excited. It really did start from a crazy idea, 
And even though I always joke around with him, and I know that he's not listening this far into a podcast, sometimes I do look around at the places I've been and some of the projects that we have going on all over the world, and I smile when I think about this moppy-headed Dutch kid scuba diving in Greece and seeing more plastic bags than fish. From that moment, all of these people have come together to help conquer one of the most important problems of this time period in history. This has been just a taste of some of the incredible conversations that I've been lucky enough to be a part of in 2022. Of course, you can listen to all of these full episodes of Catching Up to learn even more. Every year it seems to be getting a bit more crazy and a bit more exciting. And I know that 2023 will be no exception. I also know that we'll be there for every step of the journey to document the story and share it with you in every way that we can, including this podcast. Please continue to support us by following, listening, learning, donating, or whatever you can do to help us solve this problem that's happening to our tiny little planet. Remember, this is the only one that we get. I'm Dan Vanderkoy, and on behalf of the Ocean Cleanup, I wish you a happy new year, and we'll see you again in 2023.